Hello, America. Today's podcast is great. Today, we start with, well, some dicey news about the economy. I take you through what the inflation numbers are going to look like just based on what we know is already coming uh, if it just continues the way it is right now. Uh, it's not really good. Then we tell you that's just the number for our inflation. Let's add some world events to it and see the numbers on what is coming and what to do about it. Also, we have an expert on Putin. This woman really, really gets it. She was a Soviet citizen, came over here after the wall came down as a young kid. Um, in, in 2001, after the trade centers went down, she decided to volunteer to be part of intelligence. And she says no one will listen to her about Putin. And she's got it nailed. What does Putin really want? All that and so much more on today's podcast. Head over to blazetv.com slash Glenn to subscribe to Blaze TV. We'd appreciate you doing so. Use the promo code Glenn for 10 bucks off your subscription. And rate and review the podcast. If you could take a second to do that, it would be great. Uh, you can subscribe as well to this one and to Stu Does America episodes uh, every weekday. We appreciate that as well. Here's the podcast. talk to you about a couple of things uh first of all i want to i want to build this case uh with you uh, i'm going to tell you exactly what i'm doing and what i think you should do as uh as well um well i was gonna do it and then i decided not to because i have to i've had so many boating accidents lately still so many boating accidents you re- i just as a friend <sighs> do, do, not, do not think you should boat anymore i don't think so because you can't seem to keep these things afloat i know what are you making them out of I know, cement and i'm uh, like latest is food storage mm. gone gone it's down on the bottom of the lake did you think about maybe getting a submarine going down there no, or getting your I can't guns do it it's and- too deep Anyway, uh, so I'll give you some solutions here to this, but I want you to listen carefully and um, and check all these numbers yourself if you care to. Um, First, you have a problem with inflation. We all know that we all can feel it. We can see it. It wasn't caused by Russia. It is caused by the Federal Reserve. It is caused by spending too much money and printing even more. I say it's caused by the Federal Reserve. They didn't spend the money. Yes, we have a debt now of $30 trillion that if interest rates go up to about 5 or 6%, we will not be able to afford anything but the interest on that debt. Okay? Now, uh, we know that's happening. The Federal Reserve also has printed and given the banks untold trillions of dollars we know that they gave 30 trillion dollars to the bank uh by uh, to the banks by uh 2010 that news has just been released due to a foia request we have no idea what they've done in the last two years can i just add to your point on interest here glenn yeah uh this is according to brian Reed all over at the manhattan institute for every point that interest rates go up just a point that adds 30 trillion dollars to the debt over the next, I think it's 30 years, which is the same amount that we would spend in that period on defense. So every single point interest rates go up, 
we owe another $30 trillion at, like we're adding an entire new U.S. military every single time one of these things goes up one point. So we just or we just uh, raised the interest rates, the Fed did, by a quarter point and said five to seven more hikes are coming. Oh gosh. Okay. All right. So let's just talk about real stuff here for a second. Um, I wanted to show you what the price of things were, what the price of things are, and what the price of things will be um, by, by election day 2024, okay? We must turn this around. But our, but our government and our Fed and our administration are incapable of taking the right steps. This is just inflation. The numbers I'm going to give you, just inflation. This doesn't include extra regulation or shortages or anything else. This is just because the value of your dollar is going down. Prices aren't going up. The value of your dollar is going down. Now, I used not 7.9% CPI to project into the future. I used shadow stats. The reason why I did this is because everybody is comparing this to the days of Jimmy Carter. No, it's worse than the days of Jimmy Carter. I'm using the shadow stats because this is the way the government calculated inflation in 1980. They changed that calculation because it was looking bad for the United States government and the Fed. So they changed it. Um, but if we look and measure the same things the same way, we'll get the inflation rate that is 15.5%, not 7.9%. So this is from shadow stats. That's how we calculated these. Um, I've made some charts, but I'll read them off in case you happen to be watching the blaze. You'll see the charts. Uh, if not, let me just tell you where we're going to start. And that is with hamburgers. When Biden was elected, um, when Biden was elected, a hamburger was four dollars and 40 cents. Today, I think you guys are working on the wrong. You're working on the wrong uh, end of the. That's the last slide. Look for hamburger. Uh, when Biden was elected, it was four dollars and forty cents. Today, it's six dollars and one cent. Jeez. Twenty twenty four November, the time the next election, just with inflation. That's it. No food shortage. Nothing. Just due to inflation. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Hamburger was four dollars and forty cents. A hamburger will be $7.95. Wow. When Biden was elected, this is just due to inflation. When Biden was elected, gas was $2.18. Today, it's $4.41. November 24th, with no, no shortages, no war, nothing, just from inflation, $5.83. When Biden was elected, milk was $3.24. Today, it's $3.89. Just through inflation in November 2024, the price of Biden milk 
will be $5.15. I got news for you. I don't care what the price is. I'm not drink, drinking Biden milk. <laughs> that just uh, sounds really icky. It does. It does. Uh, you're not the one milking it either. <laughs> uh, you when, can milk anything with a nipple. When <laughs> Biden was elected, the price of a light bulb was $1.57. Today, it's two fifty-five. A price of a light bulb when the president elect- the presidential election in 2024 is happening will be 337. When Biden was elected, eggs a dozen, dollar 45, today 235. November 24, 311. When Biden was elected, dollar 50 for for bread. Today it's a dollar 67. November 2024 projection 221. That number is going to be wildly different, and you'll understand why here in a minute. When Biden was elected, just because of inflation, houses were three fifty eight seven hundred. Today they're four fourteen one twenty three. November twenty four projection five hundred and forty seven dollar five hundred and forty seven thousand eight hundred and eighty five. That's the average home when biden was elected to twenty two thousand dollars ninety five twenty two thousand nine hundred and fifty one dollars was the price of a car today it's thirty thousand six oh three if you can get one (laughs) just just through um just through inflation that number will jump from thirty to forty thousand 488 just some quick personal news here glenn uh, i celebrated this weekend my seven month anniversary oh, of ordering my car yes thank yes. you it's still not here yeah. they haven't even taken the order yeah. yet yeah uh, <laughs> i haven't pulled the order yet it's but great. seven months in i'm it's doing great. well have mm-hmm. you thought about a horse <laughs> um okay now let me give you something else now these are these are just uh projections and you can find we're going to publish all of this you can find uh how we made these project projections but they are just projections these numbers can change dramatically but we wanted to add in the geopolitical instability factor so we know about wheat and i've got something i've got to share with you here in a minute (laughs) Uh, we know about wheat but we are kind of we're being, I think, very conservative on some of these numbers. A hamburger, the price I just told you, add 25% if things continue to go geopolitically as they are. Gas, if things continue, the instability factor, you'll need to add 30% to that gallon of gas. 15% added for milk, 5% for light bulbs, 15% for chicken. I don't think they are sorry for eggs. I don't think that's high enough. You'll understand why here in a minute. Bread up 30%, housing down 25% and cars down by 25%. Uh I agree with the housing not necessarily so with uh the projection of the cars but i left this to the experts and our team to put together the numbers Stu, have you ever listened to the podcast all in yes okay really good Mm -hmm. really really bright guys generally speaking uh more independent now but they've all been democrats staunch democrats Mm -hmm. i think except maybe one of them um and they're all experts uh in different fields and all friends 
David Friedberg is one of them. And I was listening to the the podcast um, and they asked David a question. Now, David used to work for Monsanto um, and uh, he doesn't work there anymore, but he believes in, you know, Monsanto and, you know, blah, 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 think GMOs and et cetera, et cetera. If you're against GMOs, don't dismiss him because I, I got my facts from him on the stats but uh, we're not talking GMOs. We're just talking about looking at the market and what is really happening. So when you're looking at food, understand that 15% of all global calories come from wheat and rice. 25%. I'm sorry, 15%. One third of all of our wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. We're supposed to be planting crops all around the world right now for wheat. Not happening in uh, much of Russia, not happening anywhere in Ukraine. Next stat you need to understand. Our food supply, you know how uh, the cars had just in time. Our production lines were all just in time. And that's why we can't make cars, because there are parts that are sitting somewhere, you know, crossing the ocean, sitting on a dock someplace. The whole supply chain has broken down because it's just in time. It arrives just in time to put it into the car. When you have a disruption, it just bogs everything up and unclogging it. We don't even know if we can really unclog it and get it started again. But it's going to take years to do it. That's that's the supply chain for stuff. The supply chain for food is 90 days. We have 90 days worth of food in the supply chain. That's from the grocery store to the garden and everything in between. If it stops, we stop. Let's say we just for some reason stopped all farming we would have 90 days left of food worldwide, okay? 25% of all global production is food. We're about to lose 12% of production. That means we're losing half of our food supply of wheat. Half of our wheat food supply. This is going to hit places like Africa first, and it's going to hit places of poverty unlike anything we've ever seen. 800 million people currently on Earth live below 1,200 calories per day. So you know, the Germans would not allow Jews to have more than 600 calories a day. So they are only double the amount of calories that the Jews got during the Holocaust. And we all remember what they looked like. If they're at 1,200 calories today and they're in, um, in places that are poor, which they most likely are, those calories will be either cut off or greatly reduced. Now... The bigger problem is fertilizer. 
and energy, the energy price to run the tractors, to run the trucks, to run everything else, and the price of phosphorus and and, uh, potassium, potash, and nitrogen. Those are the three major things we use to make fertilizer. Natural gas, 90% of ammonia is made from natural gas. Prices in natural gas have doubled and in some places gone up 4x. It's gone from $200 a ton to $1,000 a ton. Phosphorus, 10% of the phosphorus from Russia and 20 to 25% of all of the potash comes from Russia. It's now been banned in Russia. They cannot sell it. We cannot buy it. They said, oh, you're going to cut us off of the bank. Great. We'll cut you off on this. Potassium is up to $700. Phosphate went from $250 to $700. This is causing so much stress on the farmers that farmers now all around the world are not planting their fields. They are reducing the acreage because without fertilizer, you're not growing much. So why plant all those fields? It's not going to be a good year, they're thinking. So as they as fertilizer goes up, they pull more and more acres. So far, the price of corn has doubled. Soybeans, wheat skyrocketing. The strategic food reserves in some parts of the world are now opening. We better have perfect weather all over the world. Just because if things continue the way they are and don't turn around quickly and we can't get fertilizer, hundreds of millions of people will experience famine by the end of the year. We need to do everything we can to support our farmers. We need to understand what's coming. And you need to have a garden, plant some seeds, live by a farm and help them, or start storing food now. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. talk to you a little bit about what is happening over in ukraine first of all um the kremlin is warning against panic buying as food prices are rising over in russia they're saying no hoarding no panic buying uh this is going to start happening all over the world please be prepared for it i went over it in hour number one if you didn't hear that in uh, the first hour make sure you grab the podcast So what is Putin really after? Who is Vladimir Putin? What is his game? So I read a book um, called Putin's Playbook recently uh, by Rebecca Koffler. She is a uh, U.S. intelligence expert. She she was uh, from behind the uh, the Iron Curtain. She came to America when she was young. After 9-11, she decided that she wanted to help protect her new country. So she went to uh, work with the Central Intelligence Agency 
uh, and she was part of the red teams that we've heard so much about with the Pentagon trying to war game. I have to tell you, I read her book and I think this is one of the people that I hope everybody is listening to in, in uh, Washington, because I think she really understands Putin. And if I'm, if, if I may say, Rebecca, you had me at Alexander Dugan. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. It's such an honor to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. So, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about your background so people know exactly who you are and how you know these things. Of course. Uh, So I was born and raised behind the Iron Curtain in the former Soviet Union. And uh, my parents were anti-communist. They didn't agree with the Soviet socialist system. And they were raising me uh, to go to America one day, the land of freedom and opportunity and justice. And so I immigrated in 1989 to uh, America. And then after September 11th, as you said, I went to serve in the intelligence community. And because I wanted to protect, you know, help protect my country uh, against foreign threats. And I knew that sooner or later, even though the Soviet Union collapsed, it will emerge, you know, as a foreign threat. Uh, I didn't know how soon it was going to happen, but there we are with the conflict in Ukraine. And it's not really about Ukraine, Glenn. It's a proxy war between uh, Russia and the United States for control in Eurasia. Okay. Explain to people what Eurasia is in case they don't know. Sure. Uh, Eurasia is the biggest uh, landmass. It's uh, basically Russia occupies the center of Eurasia. Uh, and uh, China is up there, obviously. And uh, more than Russia, it's what uh, the Russians believe is strategic buffer that they have relied on for centuries for their security, including in that strategic uh, buffer is Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, uh, Georgia, and a bunch of uh, what we call sons. And with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the United States security establishment assumed, I don't know really why, but assumed that these countries are going to be democracies and uh, nothing you know could be further from the truth because there's nothing in Russia's history or in the history of those other countries that points to the fact that democracy is even a viable uh, system of governance and so at this point we are basically uh, on a collision course geopolitically with Russia because the United States wants to make sure that we call the shots in that area of the world, not China, not Russia, but we do. And the Russians, of course, uh, want to make sure that they keep their security perimeter uh, in their control and not us. And that's what this conflict is all about. So, but if you look at um, the mm, west side of Eurasia, uh, you would see Poland and Almost every time Russia has come under attack, it's come through Poland. Don't they look at that as a gateway still and and want Poland? You are exactly correct. So the Russians, every war except the Mongol Tatar yoke back in uh, 1238 came from the West. And this is why exactly Putin fears NATO. Um, He has been talking about uh, the red lines, right? Um, 
so he wants to effectively ensure that um, he has Ukraine back into his orbit. And then depending on what happens with this conflict, obviously the Baltics would be next on, on the target list. Now, Poland and the Baltics, the threshold for Putin's invading those countries is mm-hmm. much high because they're NATO members, Correct. right? Yes. Uh, but ultimately, you're right. You, you mentioned, you know, Dugin and there's a, the whole school of thought, the Atlanticism versus Eurasianism. It's basically the uh, perennial sort of uh, struggle between the giants. And make no mistake, Putin wants to make sure he makes Russia great again, and he views himself and the Russians view themselves as a superpower on par with the United States and not a junior partner as they feel that they've been treated. All right. So this weekend, uh, Putin used a hypersonic missile, which as far as I can tell, talking to military experts, the reason to use or to have a hypersonic missile is for long range because it gets there so fast and you can't shoot it out. Um, so he was using it though in Ukraine, which to me just seems like signaling we, we've got a lot more and America, we do have the hypersonic missile and we could put a nuke on it or whatever, and we can hit you and you can't stop us. Am I reading that right? You're 100% correct, Glenn. And I dispute the Pentagon's assessment that it's not an escalation. It's totally an escalation. As you said, this is a dual-capable system. You can put a conventional warhead on it, or you can put a nuclear warhead on it. So the way that this conflict uh, started, if you remember, uh, Putin not only assembled 190,000 troops on the border, all but encircling Ukraine, but also he conducted a nuclear exercise. And so he has been steadily climbing the escalation ladder, step by step, and we are right now on the trajectory to nuclear warfare. So he's signaling, you're correct, he's strategic messaging to us, uh, I have high tolerance for nuclear uh, warfare, and you don't. I have this particular weapon that has never been in combat, used in combat before, and you don't. And it's nearly impossible to intercept. And so for the Pentagon to say that this is not escalation, they completely fail to understand who their strategic opponent is, Vladimir Putin, how conniving and how manipulative he is. And they are totally not prepared, Glenn. So what if Russia uses this weapon? Uh, We are now struggling to really grasping at straws to what to do with them. And it's very evident to everybody. So is this a possible way of because as I understand it, uh, Putin believes in escalation to de-escalation. In other words, ramp it up fast uh, to scare the living bejesus out of people, maybe even using a tactical nuke, so the rest of the world will come to the bargain bargaining table and say, "Okay, okay, okay, let's 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 work things out." Is that possible? That is that possible? What's happening? And especially with the hyper weapon, instead of using a tactical nuke, he uses this. Yes, absolutely. You just articulated uh, Russia's nuclear doctrine, escalate to de-escalate, that was developed specifically on Putin's orders for an eventual conflict. The Russians believe that sooner or later, a war between the United States 
and Russia is inevitable. Mark these words, inevitable, I quote, and because they fear U.S. conventional superiority, they believe that they overmatch us in tactical nukes because the ratio right now is 1 to 10 with Russia having 2,000 tactical nukes and we have only 200. And this is exactly why Putin wants uh, or plans rather or envisions crossing the nuclear threshold by popping a tactical nuke somewhere in Europe or in Ukraine uh, in order for us to get confused, stand down and really cause like a strategic pause. And in the meantime, he would want to move in and uh, decapitate Ukraine, uh, remove Zelensky from power as he was planning to. I mean, you would think, I mean, the rest of the world has looked at nukes for 50 years now, at least, and went, this is crazy. I mean, there's no way to win this. We, we, we won through mutually assured destruction. Uh, why does he think that a tactical nuke wouldn't garner a massive response from the rest of the world just because he has more nukes? Here's why, um, uh, Glenn, because he, the Russians have been watching and paying attention very closely to what our defense policy is. And if you remember, under President Obama, we had the initiative Global Zero. We want to zero out our nuclear capability. Uh, all this talk, you know, Putin understands that we have very low pain threshold. We can't even talk about nukes, the, you know, without really kind of like making it sound like we are absolutely not going to go there. But this is exactly why he wants to use it. OK, because he knows that we will not use it or he thinks rather that we will not use it and that is why he is planning to do this because he believes that we have we don't have the cojones if you will to respond or even preempt him so are you predicting that he will use at least a tactical nuke okay so the the threshold for using that those is high Okay, it has to be a very specific battlefield scenario where Putin feels so cornered, you know, like a rat, like that rat from his childhood that he was uh, talking about. He's in the corner. And believe me, right now he does feel that way because things are not going well for Vladimir Putin. He uh, has completely miscalculated the Ukrainian people's will to fight the uh, leadership of President Zelensky. And so if he perceives that we are about to intervene, we being NATO and the United States on behalf of Ukraine, at that point, he will feel like a loss is inevitable that would be the scenario where he would use that. Holy cow. Okay, R Rebecca Koffler is talking to us. She is the author of Putin's Playbook. I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, I, 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 um, I read it, uh, finished, I think, last week. It is, it's really, truly tremendous to give you a real insight into Putin and what you're dealing with. And especially she goes into Alexander Dugan, which very few people do. Uh, and she understands that madness as well. Rebecca, I, I want to spend just a couple of minutes on his first speech uh, that he gave when he was going into Ukraine. And he talked. I mean, he sounded like Alexander Dugan. For people who don't understand Alexander Dugan and his 
insane fourth political theory. Could you explain his influence and what it is he's trying to accomplish and how likely it is that he's really influencing things in Russia? Alexander uh, Dugin used to be the brain trust of uh, Putin. Alexander Dugin's writings, the whole geopolitical, uh, for geopolitical theory, as you explained, was taught at Russia's general staff. They have a center that is called the uh, Center for Strategic Military Research that does threat forecasting. And they have predicted uh, by assessing our defense posture and our war fighting style and the past 20 years of our military campaigns and what we've done in Iraq, Afghanistan and uh, Libya and Syria. And they have decided that Putin is going to be next, that we want to conduct regime change and therefore they are going to take a preemptive strike, so to speak, because Putin stated once, if a fight is unavoidable, and he's a judo practitioner, mm-hmm. right, in addition to being the former uh, KGB officer, if a, if, a stri- if a fight is unavoidable, you must strike first. And this is why um, he acted to take over Ukraine now, because he perceives that it's his best chance, his window of opportunity, while we have uh, what they believe a weak U.S. president. Now, so, and this is what, you know, Dugan wanted. It's the Eurasianism that Trump, right. you know, Atlanticism. And whether it will happen actually or not, uh, Glenn, it depends. It depends on our reaction uh, to what's happening in Ukraine. If he's allowed to swallow Ukraine, what's next, right? Moldova, Belarus, Belarus is already part of the Union. Uh, are the Baltics next? That's what everybody is worried about. And if we don't demonstrate, you know, a viable strategy, which so far we haven't, right? We don't have an answer to his asymmetric strategy because President Biden somehow thinks that uh, sanctions is going to be a magic bullet. But sanctions is a completely different. It's an economic concern. Putin's security concern are completely different, so that is not going to change their behavior, and that's what Putin is banking on, that we don't have an answer to his playbook, and that's what I described in my book. Okay, so um, when, when you're looking at the scenario, I, I got to believe that when we pulled out of Afghanistan, that was a green light for Putin. It was. Uh, the Russians, as I said, watch very, very closely how we fight, where we fight, whether we're able to achieve victory. OK, and we have withdrawn from Afghanistan after 20 years and two point two trillion dollars spent of U.S. taxpayers money, six thousand American lives only sacrifice. Right. Given the fact that we have a superior warfighting force in military history, our men and women in uniform are exceptional. We have outstanding weaponry, the best in the world. But technology and weaponry do not win wars. The Russians know that. And given the shameful withdrawal by uh, President Biden, they decided that we are just not able to handle these wars and close these wars and don't have the stamina to stand up to Putin. And that's when he moved in. 
that was the green light to him, as you said. And on top of that, uh, Joe Biden green lighted, if you remember, um, he told Putin, well, if it's a small incursion, you know, maybe you right. won't be punished. So that right. was the final green light and the trigger that Putin said, OK, I'm going to move in. This is my opportunity before a stronger president, someone like Trump, you know, uh, comes to power uh, in the United States. That's the best chance. And he moved in. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Rebecca Koffler, the author of Putin's Playbook. She is a, a former U.S. intelligence uh, officer. She was with the CIA after 9 11. Um, she decided that she wanted to help protect our country. She knows Russia inside and out. She's a former Soviet citizen that came over to the United States uh, and now is an American citizen. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, Glenn. Pleasure to be here with you and your audience. All right. So before the break, I asked you, how did we get Putin so wrong? I mean, I've, I've always said, if you just look at the guy, one arm doesn't swing. When he walks, and that's the arm that his uh, his gun used to be at. He is still a KGB guy. He's still a guy. He's a thug. How did we miss this? Absolutely, uh, Glenn. So uh, we've missed twenty years worth of indications and warnings. What we call in the intelligence community INW of who Putin was and what he was planning to do. He never made it a secret. Every speech, every strategic planning document, every press conference, he articulated to us that he was planning to reconstitute an alliance similar to USSR, and he viewed the U.S. and NATO as a roadblock in his plan, and he planned to destabilize it. And yet we missed it. Why? It's because somehow there's an assumption in the intelligence community and in the broader Washington establishment security apparatus that Putin thinks like an American, that the Russians are think and believe just like Americans, and nothing can be further from the truth. Putin is not an American who thinks like a Soviet KGB officer and a judo practitioner. The Russians elected Putin four times, Glenn, right? And guess who every single time was a runner-up? It was a communist. It was somebody who would have been even worse. And so Putin has already done several things that are perceived by the Western analysts as crazy. And He's not crazy. He invaded Georgia. He invaded Crimea. He uh, authorized the shooting down of MH17s. And and we keep thinking that, oh, he's not going to use tactical nuke because it's crazy. But maybe what's crazy to us is not crazy to him. His rationale is not American. It's not Western. It's a Soviet KGB killer style, you know, type of guy, a thug, like you said, an assassin. He has, uh, authorized assassinations, poisonings. Um, all these things make sense to him, and they actually make sense to a segment of the Russian population, which is pretty large, who support a strong leader bordering on brutal, just like Stalin. All right. Stalin's popularity is rising now. So we have, we have a situation where Putin says... Uh, He's going to purify Russia of the scum and traitors. Um, But there's a lot of people, at least it appears to be a lot of people that are against this war in uh, Ukraine. Will this silence them and put everybody back to kind of a Soviet kind of footing? 
That's what I'm afraid of, uh, Glenn. He's basically uh, calling for people to start ratting out, if you will, the fifth column, the traitors, as he called them. And Putin once uh, stated that treason is the most heinous of crimes. And this is why he authorized assassinations and poisonings of uh, former GRU officer uh, Skripal and former FSB officer Alexander Litvinenko. So right now he's calling for a Stalinesque era red terror when neighbors and spy on neighbors and turn them into the Soviet authorities and call them, you know, traitors. So what he wants to do is he wants the Russian people to actually um, give out the Russian, other Russian people. And with the idea that it will scare everyone and people will stop protesting. Most of the uh, Russian people are afraid. And I interviewed a Russian source in uh, Moscow, and she said that 90% of people support Putin 10%, and nobody actually supports the war, right? Because right. it's a Slav on Slav. It's atrocious. But only 10% do not support P- uh, Putin. And everyone is scared because the consequences can be really, really harsh. You can be expelled from a university, you can lose your job, and you can get in jail up to 15 people, 15 years rather. And so that is what is scaring Mm. these people, and we've seen that before in Russian history, regretfully. All right. You, in your book, uh, Putin's Playbook, you talk about the infiltration uh, of Russia, uh, of the United States by Russia. It's already here. I know that, uh, I know that Dugan has, um, uh, operatives that are, you know, reaching out to organizations all over the West and in Europe, uh, trying to get them on board by appealing to their traditional, uh, values. How is this happening with Putin and Russia? And where do you see this infiltration here in America? Here's how it happens. There are two types of infiltration. There's an infiltration with actual spy, like sleeper agent types of uh, operatives, similar to the 10 who were expelled by President Obama, which was, by the way, was foolish. We should have uh, kept these people here, um, debriefed him and flipped them over to work for us. Right. Uh, Back in 2010, Putin actually authorized the infiltration of these um, 10 probably the minute that he uh, came to power because uh, they were working here for 10 years trying to get close to uh, U.S. top echelons of U.S. government. And they were getting very close to uh, Hillary Clinton. Right. (laughs) So the second type of infiltration is really the infiltration of the American mind. The Russians for decades wanted to transform the United States from a free capitalist society into a socialist type society, similar to what the Soviet Union was like. And we were warned about it by a defector, Yuri Bizmenov, who said that there was a four-step program of such transformation. And we see the results of it today, right? Today, You know, Bernie Sanders, AOC, and folks like that, the leftists, they talk about socialism as though it's a viable system, and it's been normalized, this narrative. 
which is completely not only absurd but scary. Glenn, I lived under socialism. It's a it's a really, really vile and atrocious system. It's not all about the free stuff. It's about government control. Mm. And we cannot allow this in this country. But this is the type of infiltration. So the Russians not only target with their information warfare, they don't only target our networks, but they're targeting Americans' minds so, with this. And I'll, yes. So what, what is your response when you hear people like Hillary Clinton and others say that... Uh, uh, that Tucker Carlson is a uh, is an operative, or um, Kelsey, uh, um, uh, what is it? Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, yeah I can never remember her first name. Tulsi Gabbard. That they're that they're Russian operatives. So Hillary Clinton is a Soviet-style KGB operative type. Okay, remember during her, you know, when she was a State Department um, uh, chief. Instead of actually paying attention to the Russian threat and developing a counter strategy, Hillary Clinton was busy trying to cozy up to Putin and to the Russians. They wanted a reset, Obama and, uh, and Hillary, even though she had every possible indication and warning what Putin was up to. And she trotted out that mistranslated button that <laughs> was a huge diplomatic, you know, mm-hmm. diplomatic faux pas that Lavrov, the uh, Russian foreign minister, laughed at. And so she was digging dirt. She authorized, you know, a whole slew of intelligence officials and also, you know, uh, the uh, private industry to dig dirt on Trump to unseat a democratically elected president of the United States. So Hillary Clinton is dangerous, actually. And the types like her, the corrupt officials like John Brennan, uh, former CIA director under Obama, like James uh, Clapper, um, DNI, former director of national intelligence, and uh, James Comey, the former FBI director, because they failed to do their job uh, to assess Putin properly and protect us from this threat to us and our allies. I, I want to digging dirt. I want to make it really clear: she did not just say that Hillary Clinton is a Russian spy. She said she is the type. Uh, of politician that the KGB would love and uh, that that you know doesn't watch our back. Do I have that right? You have that exactly okay. good, right. Good, good. I don't mean to say that she's on the payroll yeah, yeah, yeah. of the Russians, but she learned all the long wrong lessons from the Soviet playbook, and We're- she. And her operatives have applied them, you know, hitting the U.S. really with the double whammy. What happened in 2016 was uh, the Russians did not want to elect Trump. They wanted to foment discord and disorder and possibly social unrest. They feared Trump. And they put out, they being the Obama uh, spy chief, put out a fraudulent intelligence community assessment uh, of January 6, 2017, where they lied to the American people about the reason for Russia's interference in the election. Uh, Rebecca, I'm out of time, but I would like to have you back because I'd like to talk to you about Ukraine because Hillary Clinton and George Soros and all those people were huge in Ukraine doing all kinds of dirty stuff. And then we had a TV star... Uh, to be elected uh, president, uh, much to our State Department chagrin. Uh, and I know you're writing a new book uh, now on Zelensky, and I'd like to have you back on again and, and talk a little bit about the other side. Would you come back? 
Of course, I would love to. Thank you so much. Rebecca Koffler, the name of the book is Putin's Playbook. You want to understand uh, his plan to destroy America and why he wants to destroy America. Read Putin's Playbook. By the way, one note. I'm getting, uh, believe it or not, (laughs) I hate addressing these things. They're so stupid. Uh, I'm getting heat because I have the Ukrainian flag on my Twitter uh, feed. Uh Uh-huh, I do. I support the people of Ukraine. That doesn't mean I want war where we're involved. I believe that we can help people in Ukraine as individuals. Uh, And we'll give you some examples of that coming up in, in just a second. But just because I'm telling you, read Putin's playbook. He really is trying to destroy America. That doesn't mean... I want warplanes with a U.S. flag on the back anywhere close to Ukraine. Na, na, na.